Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I'll give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Marjorie Turner-Holman. She is an author of multiple easy walking guidebooks. After having life-saving brain surgery, she was paralyzed on her right side, and now she strives to open the outdoors for those with mobility issues. So Marjorie has some great stories to share, and I'm looking forward to talking with her today. So Marjorie, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit more about your story? Well, thank you so much, Sarah. It's really nice to meet you online. And um, my story, golly, um, you know, like anyone, there's tons of, of things to any of our stories. My focus for these podcasts, I'm hoping to encourage people to get out and explore. Uh, the outdoors is very healing. It's been healing for me. And as you were saying, I, I was uh, left paralyzed. And over the past close to 30 years, I have regained um, a measure of mobility. I still need support to get outside. I use hiking poles to keep me balanced, especially when I'm off paved trails. But it's been something that's helped my heart and helped my spirit and has um, become something that's made connections with a lot of people. Um, between my Facebook group and my written books and presentations, I, I meet people all the time. And it feels like it's given me something to give back when anytime a person has serious life uh, changes, at least for me, it's a, am I ever going to feel like I have anything to give back? Because all I am doing is taking, and that feels really crappy. It's nice to feel like we have something to give. And that's what Easy Walks has done for me. It's been a real, it's been a, a tool for helping me to give back. And so have you always been into the outdoors and getting outside even before you started like your healing journey? Yes, but not in the same way. Uh, I grew up in South Florida. I, I jokingly called me a, a Florida beach bunny, but I, I was desperate to see snow. And as soon as I had a chance to go to college, I said, I am going where there's going to be snow. All of my siblings did the same thing. It's kind of funny. It's whatever you don't have, you wish for. And I came up to New England. I didn't want to go farther south because I wanted to make really sure that I would see snow. And indeed, I have. But haven't gotten tired of it yet. Um, yeah, I love the outdoors. And um, I've always enjoyed it. But for many reasons, I didn't get out very comfortably. It was when I met my husband close to 20 years ago now, and he started talking about the things that he liked to do outdoors. And this was when I had just met him and I said, take me with you. <laughs> and he did. And that was a, 
a real solid basis for the beginning of our relationship. We still spend a lot of time getting outside together. And what sort of adventures do you have outside? I take easy walks <laughs> because that's that's really all I can do. I my I still have serious paralysis. I've got atrophied muscles, frozen ankle, uh, dropped foot that makes it so I can trip pretty easily. So um, what I've described, what it makes an easy walk, a lot of times people just think, well, it's short, so it's easy. And they don't ever tell about trail surfaces. And for any person with mobility, trail surfaces are make or break. And so I talk about easy walks means not many roots, not too many rocks, relatively level, a firm surface, and something of interest along the way. That's what makes an easy walk. And when I use those terms, when I use those phrases, I can see people's face light up. And they say, oh, well, I know some places like that, because otherwise they give you all these really inappropriate or just plain difficult places that if you're mobile, you don't think about. And for those of us that have any kind of, whether you've got young children, whether you're older, whether you've just been injured, or whether you've got mobility challenges that you were born with or acquired later, we need places that aren't the run of the mill, just a short walk. We need a little more, but it's not just people with disability or special needs. There's lots of us that fit into that category. Right. So what are some of the things that you like to see outside since one of your, your uh, qualifications was something interesting? Ah, um, water is always wonderful. So whether it's the ocean or a river or a pond or a lake or a waterfall that kind of gets into rivers to um, lacking, lacking water, gosh, an overlook is always wonderful. Um, even, I mean, in New England, we have all these glacial boulders and I I grew up in South Florida. We didn't have rocks 60 feet as elevation in South Florida. <laughs> so anything with rolling hills and stone walls in New England are all over the place. I love to discover stone walls, find an old cart path. You can usually tell because there's stone walls on both sides of where you're walking that that's sort of a characteristic, even if you're in the middle of the woods, when you find it, that used to be a place that people traveled um, regularly. It's, it's a kind of a fun thing to take you back into history and imagine what people's lives were like and what, did they have carts really? This is rough, you know, it was hard. To get across. I, I, I was a history major, so I'm always interested in those stories, too. Those are some of the interesting things I enjoy. Yeah. And do you have any favorite walks that you've gone on or places that you like to go back to? Oh, 
sure. Uh, I often, when I get asked that question, I often say the most recent trail that I was on. <laughs> it's uh, because it's freshest in my mind. Um, this past weekend, we went walking in a cemetery arboretum uh, near where my in-laws live. I found out through my Facebook group that they plow this. It's paved roads all through, but it's ups and downs. It's got all these Victorian statues and uh, pollinator gardens. It's got a stream running through with little stone bridges. That's where I went this week. So um, it's whatever is most recent seems to be. That was really cool. <laughs> yeah. And if you're always finding new places, that, that makes sense. When I wrote my first book, it was Easy Walks in Massachusetts. Um, just writing the book was a lot of work. But once I wrote it and self-published it, the challenge was, how do you market it? And someone told me, well, you got to have a Facebook page. All right. I wasn't even on Facebook, so I went and created a Facebook page. But what do you do then? Well, you take pictures of the outdoors. And so I started looking for other nearby places. Uh, these, these first three books, they're all one town to the next contiguous town. So I call it a hyper-local trail guide, very, very local. Uh, and so I just went to the next town and the next town looking for trails, searching, doing, you know, just looking for trail kiosks and other, and then walking them. And I would take pictures while I walked and I'd put them up on Facebook. And it's just, you know, before I knew it, I had written a second book. Well, I hadn't really planned on that, but I already knew how to do the self-publishing because I've done that professionally, helping people write their stories for family stories and putting them into books. So I had already learned that self-publishing process uh, with only a few hissy fits and meltdowns along the way. Not as many these days, but they're still there lurking. <laughs> and do you want to talk a little bit about the later books that you've written? Sure. Um, the third book in the Easy Walks, uh, actually the fourth book, I had written two for myself uh, to share. And then a local conservation group, a watershed group said, we want an Easy Walks book. Come and help us do this and we'll work with you. We wrote some grants. They did some of the field work. I put it all together, did the formatting and, um, and did all the self-publishing. So that was the third book. But then I always do library presentations and, and such, helping publicize. And people, first question was always, how do you find all these places? And I finally said, well, I, maybe I should just write a book saying how to find easy walks wherever you go. As I was writing it, the pandemic happened in 2020. We weren't going anywhere. And so suddenly I realized I needed to change the title. So it was finding easy walks 
wherever you are. And I mean, trails were crowded. They must have been in Pennsylvania where you were too. Was that, what, did you notice that? It was definitely more people were out and about. Um, and even like the neighborhood I'm in, um, my partner and I joke now, there's a family and we saw the family when they got their puppy walking and now they, <laughs> then the mom got pregnant and now they've got the baby and, and we also have a rail trail. Um, and that is, is very popular, um, all, all year when it's not snowing. Um, mm -hmm. but definitely more so in the pandemic as well. Yeah. So, you know, that was my thinking was I'm in Massachusetts. I can't really help people that are out of the 37 towns that I've covered with the first three books, very intensive. Uh, it also made it awkward when people outside those 37 towns would call and ask me to do a presentation because it was, well, they're not really going to be interested in the books I've written uh, unless they decide to come to that part of our state and travel there. And so it gave me a, a tool to say, Here's what I found nearby where your area is. And here's the things I do whenever I go anywhere, whether it's around New England, Pennsylvania, um, California, Arizona, Tennessee, New Jersey, uh, Ireland, Newfoundland, Nova Scotia. We've gone to all those places and we found easy walks and every one of those places. So it was quant trying to quantify what is it we do. It was a big challenge, but it was a good one to finally say, well, here's what we do. It's not that we're just lucky. Um, we, have a, we have a system. My husband does a lot of the finding when we're traveling beyond because he uses Google Earth. He does website searches. He looks at an area. I'm more after we've gone someplace and I can see where we've been. Then I look at the maps and say, oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, we cooperate that way. And your most recent book, what one, what is that one about? Okay. My recent, my most recent book came about. Again, these were things that uh, when I was telling you that interviews and, and interactions with other people, I was interviewed by uh, one of my colleges. I went to two different ones for their alumni magazine. And it's a Christian college. Uh, I talked with the woman about my experiences being in the outdoors, what it meant looking for wonderful places, uplifting my spirit, uh, not particularly a religious focus, at least not that I felt was communicated, but the title that she put on her profile of me was a liturgy of easy walks, which kind of shocked me because I, I didn't realize what I was communicating real specifically. But as soon as I read it, I said, 
I think that's my next book. But now it's up to me to figure out what is it. And I have lots and lots of blogs that I've written, probably over 500, that are places that I've visited that are just outdoor places that I document and, and write about. I also have essays that I started writing after I fell ill with this brain tumor and surgery and paralysis. They weren't really blog posts. They were simple emails that I sent out back years and years ago when email was new and, and it was exciting to get one or two in a day. <laughs> and so this, this was a way for me to engage people. I wasn't able to drive seven, for seven years because of how ill I was. But this was a way to have people interact with me. My kids were young. I told stories of adventures with them and my neighbors. I had a wonderful neighbor who would throw a party at the drop of a hat or a celebrating an anniversary when the sandbox got built or Valentine's or graham cracker gingerbread houses. Uh, the parties usually only lasted 15 or 20 minutes but they made great stories. People would write me back and say, I wish I lived in your neighborhood. I also wrote more contemplative books or, or you know, just emails saying, just reflecting on a changed life. And what do you do when you find yourself with a changed life? And my cousin had challenged me right every day and I kept writing these basically finished essays day after day after day. I had a computer mishap and I lost all of them. My cousin, who was a librarian, had cataloged them by date and sent them all back to me. And a whole lot of those rescued emails ended up in my book, My Liturgy. Of easy walks. A few more recent, but an awful lot of them were from those early years when things were hardest. Uh, my life is, um, is much easier and much more stable now. I don't find myself reflecting nearly as much. It's sort of when those hard things that uh, Tolkien writes about, I think probably in The Hobbit, about there's, when things go well, there's not a lot to say. It's when there's hardship and things go wrong. That's where the stories are. <laughs> right. And are you thinking of writing more books? I haven't figured out what that is yet. Uh, I'm actually way behind in just keeping up documenting our travels. We, we had a wonderful about three week trip down to Tennessee and back to see my grandboys who I hadn't seen really in two years. And we got down and spent a week with them and did things, but we took bike rides all along the way. I think I was mentioning to you, we found rail trails in Pennsylvania, in Maryland, in West Virginia, in Virginia and Tennessee. And we have an adaptive tandem bike I don't have enough balance 
to ride a bike alone. My husband built a tandem bike with a bike builder. It comes apart in two pieces so we can put it in our truck and then we have a camper that we tow. So we carry all of that along and, and once we're in a place we can leave the camper, then we can go to a rail trail, put the bike together, get it all set. This is the Royal We I'm talking about. He's the bike mechanic. I get on the back, he provides the balance, I hold on and my heart sings because we can go 20 miles. I can walk less than two when the weather is optimal. But on our bike, I can see so much and it makes my heart sing. It's truly wonderful to hear how much like joy um, your husband has brought with bringing you to the outdoors and, and getting on, on all of these adventures. Mm -hmm. He's the one that taught me to use hiking poles. I was very resistant. I don't like any kind of change. I am very resistant and it's, I sometimes say, I do that kicking and screaming and I wish that I could be graceful and I'm just not. <laughs> but yes, he has very patiently, try one stick, he could do better trying two. And now I'm an evangelist for hiking poles and I see people staggering on trails and I just wanna stop them and say, have you ever tried these? They really make a difference. You know, I'm such a hypocrite because I was so resistant. But, you know, it's the like a, a smoker that quits and then they want to convince everybody else that they should quit. <laughs> exactly. That is truly great. Now, would you be willing to share a little bit about um, the brain tumor and what that part of your life was like? Sure. That's... Uh pretty open book. I, I was reluctant to talk about it with the first three books. I didn't want that to be the focus. I don't like feeling like people are looking at me as disability. I like to be seen as a person. I've come to make peace with the fact that I can voice, I can be an advocate for other people who are disabled and also hope, I hope that I can give people encouragement, not that if I can do it, you can do it, but whatever you can do, figure out ways to find the support you need to do it. I don't do things without support. I, really, I don't go walking without somebody with me. It means sometimes I don't go. And that can be frustrating. I don't have that independence, but I get to do a lot. It means you have to learn how to help, ask for help. When I discovered that I had this brain tumor was because of a grand mal seizure. Very quickly, I was diagnosed with having a, a tumor that was doing really bad things to me and needed to get removed very quickly. It was, I knew it was serious. Um, boy, I, I knew I might not make it. it. It was really a very large tumor. 
it did take 12 hours to remove as much as they could without killing me. And it nearly did. I made it through and everyone was surprised when I woke up that my entire right side was totally paralyzed. That was not a fun time. It took me about two years to be really okay that I had survived. A lot of pain, a lot of scariness. I couldn't work. I was a single mother. There were a lot of things that weren't very stable or very safe. Uh, really scary, feeling like I was holding on by my fingers and people kept throwing things under my feet and the cliff was right behind me. It was really scary. You know, people would say stuff like, just take it day by day. And I said, but I have to pay my bills at the end of the month. How? I can't just do that. I have to figure this out. It wasn't helpful advice. It made me pretty cranky. <laughs> um, people did come along, along the way. Uh, family, I have family relatively nearby, and they really stepped up. Uh, they fended off the bill collectors. They got social workers to come in and help me understand what social services were available to me as a mother with young kids. You know, there were, a lot, there were a lot of things that I needed help with, even going to the grocery store. And an acquaintance knew that, found out what was happening with me. And she said, well, I go to the store every Monday at 10 o'clock. I'll pick you up. And she did that for the next seven years, every week. You know, you, you can't just line all that up. And, and yes, there were gaps when things didn't happen that I needed. It, it isn't a just put it out there and everything happens. Sometimes it's not very smooth. And sometimes things don't get done. I was very lucky, but I also learned how to ask for help. I called it spreading the net wide, that you don't ask just one person all the time. They get tired. They get tired of doing everything. And I, became, I learned to just call people up. We didn't have email when all this was going on. So I, I thankfully had my voice. My voice was not affected. It felt scary because what, what would have happened if I had lost my voice? That terrified me. I'd call people up and say, you have to say no if this isn't good for you, because then I feel like I can ask you another time when it might be. So please tell me no if this isn't good. I gave them permission to turn me down and make it easy and not make them feel guilty. And I always said, I've got other people I can ask. Just, I thought of you first. Eventually, I'd find somebody who could help. And then when the next thing would come up, I'd spread the net wide again 
and just practicing doing this over and over helped me get through the shame of needing to ask for help. For whatever reason, I think it's a lot in our culture. Maybe not everybody feels that way, but I think a lot of people feel a lot of shame if they need to ask for help. I know I did. And at this point, even things like going to church and watching our priest prepare the Eucharist, he was doing the giving. And I thought, well, if there's nobody there receiving, he's done this for nothing. That somebody's got to do the receiving. <laughs> we can't all be givers all the time has to come back as well. It's that finding that balance, finding what we have to give and feeling confident that we have it to give and that we have value. It's a hard thing to really believe deep down, but I got a lot of practice. Yeah, and I think it's great to hear of the people who did step up and that you had that support and also even just to hear, you know, giving people the opportunity, like it's okay to say no. And like, that doesn't mean I'm going to write you out of my life. Like, don't feel right. guilt for saying no. And and I think that's, that's important to hear because I do think it is hard for a lot of people to ask for help. That, I know it was for me. Uh, meant that I had to be very conscious of it. But I didn't have a lot of choices. I, I had my kids to take care of. If I didn't have them, I don't like to think what I would or wouldn't have done. There were things I did for them that I wouldn't have done just for myself. They, were, they kept me going. They're still pretty special. I'm, I'm really lucky. And now I have grandkids. Yep, exactly. And now you have grandkids. <laughs> I do. I never thought I'd see my children grow up. And now I'm able to see my grandkids. That's a miracle to me. And you said how, you know, it kind of took you the couple of years to kind of come to terms with how things had happened. Um, and now you're not fully paralyzed, though you do use assistance um, when doing your easy walks. So what was that physical recovery like for you? When I woke up from the surgery, the first thing the medical people did was check my reflexes, rub my feet and ask, could I feel that? And I said, yes, I can. And they said, oh, that's good. That tells us you may regain movement in these limbs that you can feel. What they didn't tell me was as I gained some movement, even really right away, because I could feel it was good that I did, I had hope, but I could feel everything. And it really hurt because these healthy muscles suddenly couldn't move. It's like putting you in a straitjacket. These healthy, healthy muscles move. That's what's part of 
our natural babies to children, you know, you watch toddlers, if they're healthy, they just move and don't stop until they collapse and sleep. <laughs> That's what healthy muscles do. I had healthy muscles that couldn't move. There was a lot of pain there. I couldn't sleep on either shoulder because either way it hurt. I had to sleep flat on my back and it took a lot to fall asleep. There was a lot of pain. Emotionally, it was very painful. About six months after the surgery, I started having seizures, but I didn't have the words to explain. And I kept getting brushed off. The doctors I called kept saying, well, I have people that they have stuff six and 10 and 20 day, times a day. And you're saying once every two weeks, doesn't sound like such a big deal to them. They didn't understand that I would be basically wiped out for two weeks and could hardly get across a room again. And I finally, um, when the this seizure happened, when I was in the room with a, a therapist, I'd gone to therapy just because I needed to talk things out. And she looked at me and I said, my arm can't, won't move. And she said, have you told your doctors that? I said, well, not really. I think that's important. And as soon as I used those words, they said, oh, those are seizures. Because I'd been told this was depression. And they were giving me depression medication when I was having uncontrolled seizures. I had seizure medication, but it wasn't at the right dose, it wasn't effective. So yeah, it, it, nearly, it nearly finished me off, but I didn't want my children to find me. That's another how I, they kept me going because I was ready to give up. It was really, really hard. And so when did you like get to that turning point of Hey, it's getting better. I found a seizure specialist. Who knew? <laughs> and she immediately said, well, well we're going to start changing medication. The other doctors were afraid to do it. And she said, oh, yeah, we have to do that all the time. We'll find something that works. We'll try. And I felt like I had somebody on my side instead of getting dismissed, like many, many women with health issues are very easily dismissed. It's not fair, it's not right, and it happens. I was one of them. So now that you're kind of on the other side of all of that and you've got your easy walks, what is it that you hope to continue to do? Oh, gosh. I, I use the word muddle a lot. <laughs> I think a lot of us muddle. I, I, you know, when people talk about goal setting and you have to have goals and my own experiences, I mostly figured out the next thing to do when I can figure it out. And I don't have grand goals. I don't have 
oh my goodness, this is what I've always wanted to do. This is what I've always dreamed about. I, I never really was quite that person. I mostly wanted to have some warm relationships, some joy, some adventure when I could manage it with support. So I'm not a single adventurous person anyway. I, I do better having some company along the way. So I've never really had goals. I'm trying to get through this next day and being open for whatever opportunity presents itself as it does. And I've found that many times those are from unexpected directions that I couldn't imagine. How could I, nearly 30 years ago, laying in bed, not able to get across a room, think that I would author walking books? That's a very strange thing. I, I, that wasn't the first, second, tenth, or even hundredth thing that ever occurred to me that I might do. And it, it was a series of kind of open doors, open windows, little things that happened along the way. Yeah, looking back, it seems like an odd place to have come from and gotten to. But when you think about it, <laughs> you know, the, the path does make sense. Well, I learned first along the way how to do self-publishing. And that was because I had listened to a podcast kind of like this. And the theme was uh, out of out of the box jobs for freelance writers. I was I had been writing for local newspapers. That's part also of what I wrote some outdoor articles for the local newspaper that eventually got me to this um, writing easy books, easy walks. The out of the box job for freelance writers was the world of personal hist history, helping other, helping people write their family stories or their individual stories. Another way is to call it ghost writing. Basically you interview a person, let them talk, record the stories, transcribe it, and then transform it into readable narrative. I started doing that. It um, was much easier to do it for free than to persuade people to pay me. Uh, that's the hard part. But in the process, I learned the process of what is involved in self-publishing. From just uploading a document to picking fonts that are true fonts, uh, meeting book designers, meeting cover designers, learning about book structure and headers and footers and a lot of kind of technical things. So I had already been doing that when I saw the need for local walking books. People clearly didn't know where to walk. They were finding my little newspaper articles on my website. And I said, I think there's a need. And once you recognize a need, then you say, how can I go about meeting that need? I realized I might be the person to do that. And I said, I know how to make books. 
I've done it for other people. I could do it for myself. And maybe there's people that would find that valuable. And they have. Yeah, I think it's great that you're like, you decided to do this to fill a need for other people. And it's your way of giving back, as you mentioned early on. I think that's truly great. No, thank you. Now, I think I'm going to start to wrap things up. But before I do, is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners today? Uh, I encourage people to, especially if you're slogging and you're overwhelmed with all the things you have to do. And even when you finish that one thing, you just think, I have all these other things to do. One of the things I in retrospect, really missed was after you finish any of those hard things, stop and celebrate. Make some time for joy. Don't just jump into the next hard thing. It's going to keep getting harder and harder to keep pushing through. If you stop and let yourself, even just a small, even just taking a breath before, you push on to that next path to do thing. You're going to find it makes it, it changes something. Probably in yourself, it might change things in those around you because you're not quite so cranky. That's, that's <laughs> make time for joy. That is so important for people to hear. Now, at the end of all of my episodes, I do ask my guests a random question that's different from what we've been talking about. My question for you today is, what is your favorite day of the week? <laughs> hmm. That's a hard question. Um, but especially right now with the pandemic, the days are so alike. It, there's there's not a real difference. I think right now I really enjoy Monday and Wednesday because I have online writing groups with people from around the world. Actually, I've never met them in person, but they're very. I mean, we spend every week together. And we have a lot of fun and we it's they're writing accountability groups. I look forward to those almost more than anything. Otherwise, my other writing group meets once a month. So that's not really once a week. But the, those connections with other writers, people who are writing books are really life giving and really, really encouraging. I, I really look forward to that. Otherwise, any day that we can get out on a bike ride is my favorite day. All right, that brings this episode to a close. I, of course, will be leaving links for Marjorie in the description. So a link directly to her website and the Facebook group that she mentioned that she shares in and a link to her author page on Amazon if you would like to check out any of the books that she has written and talked about today. 
And of course, if you would like to connect with the podcast, our website is in the description as well. That brings you to all of our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And it brings you to all of our past episodes and all of the text for all of our episodes and all past resources and good things. And of course, my email is in the description if you would like to contact me and be a guest on the show, or if you'd like to donate to the podcast monetarily, a link to do that is in the description as well. So thank you so much, Marjorie, for spending time with me today and to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time, bye. Thank you so much, Sarah. This has absolutely been a pleasure. Take care. Happy trails. Thank you.